don't know if there's anyone out there that's a guest with us this morning, but in case you've forgotten, my name is Alex Fleming. Uh, I'm the youth pastor here at Berean. Um, so our senior pastor, Pastor Nathan, uh, is off with family in Nebraska attending the Berean Connect Conference. Uh, and so that's an opportunity for him, and I think the Kluths are there as well, to go and connect with our uh, fellow Bereans from all uh, across the country. So we can pray for that time of connection for them. We can pray for uh, traveling mercies as well. So we've slowly been adding things back into everyday life lately. Uh, obviously, we're back to to, albeit a little bit different looking in-person church services. Um, we can once again, as of about six weeks ago, go and get our hair cut uh, at, uh, by professionals and not just hoping what we get done at home holds out, like looks okay. I don't think I've seen anyone come in that like said, all right, this was too bad. I'm getting rid of all of it. But I, I let the locks grow out and I was very happy to finally get back to um, great clips to, to have someone do my hair for me. Um, also, athletics are kicking back into to high gear this week uh, to the delight of many. Major League Baseball is uh, kicking off their shortened season. I think the following week, the NBA is returning to their season that got cut short to, to finish that off. Youth sports seem to be back in full force. Kelsey and I live across the street from a bunch of baseball and softball fields, and every evening as we've driven or walked by, they've been pretty full. Um, as there, I think a lot of people are trying to make up for lost time. Uh, and if you've been around Berean long enough, you know I am a football guy, specifically NFL football, so I am hoping and looking forward to uh, an NFL football season coming up. But here's the thing, all that to say, here's the thing about professional athletes. We get a big look into what they value because we have almost full access to the things that they pursue. Uh, Obviously, pro athletes pursue and value the sport that they compete in. They labor day in and day out to sort of hone their craft, right? Uh, But with the advent of 24-7 sports media coverage, like you can literally 2 a.m. go and find some form of live sports coverage. Um, And and with that, we also get to see the other pursuits of these athletes in connection with or even apart from their careers as athletes. This includes their family night their family life, their work with uh, religious or other charitable organizations, product endorsements. Again, the list goes on and on. It's like every li- what they had for lunch. Like we get sometimes this real deep dive into the lives of professional athletes. All this to say, professional athletes, especially those who uh, get a lot of media attention, are great illustrations of this concept that the things that you pursue reflect the things that you value. Let me say that again. The things that you pursue reflect the things that you value. Uh, And and that concept also holds true for us on an individual level, right? The things that we pursue reflect the things that we value. And so the past few weeks, we've been in a series called uh, Gospel People. Pastor Nathan sort of got us kicked off with that series, and and he'll return to it next week as well. And I'm going to continue on with that. We've been talking about how gospel people have our lives shaped 
by the truth and the promise found in God's word, in the gospel message, right? And this week I want to focus on how being a gospel person should shape what we pursue, uh, and then thus, right, what we value. That's where we're going to sort of be hanging out this morning. So let me pray for us before we really truly dive in. Uh, yeah, and then, and then we'll get going. So God, I do thank you for today. I thank you for the privilege that it is to, um, to get together with our brothers and sisters to worship you, to look at your word, um, to encourage one another. Lord, to do life together. And so I pray that in the midst of all of this uncertainty that we would have a new um, appreciation for that. So I, I thank you for each and every person in this room with me this morning. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us as we look into Scripture, that you would speak through me, Lord, that um, you would get a hold of our hearts. Help us to see uh, the areas that you want us to grow in. Lord, I thank you for Christ, that in him we have relationship with you. In him and through your spirit we can grow in you. Lord, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So first of all, uh, what does it mean to pursue something? I think that's an important sort of place to start. We pursue things when we choose to spend time, energy, and money on them. To sort of boil it down, I'd say choice and action are the two things that sort of work hand in hand uh, with what it means to pursue something. And because we're limited on the amount of time, the amount of energy, the amount of finances that we have, the number of things that we can pursue, that any one person can pursue, is limited, which means that our pursuit of things, that being able to pursue things, requires discipline. Remember that word. So then the question we need to ask is, what should the highest pursuit and therefore value of gospel people be? And I think an excellent place to look for that answer uh, is in the life and the teachings of the Apostle Paul. A few passages, just as I was thinking through his letters, a few passages sort of stood out to me that speak to this, uh, this topic. In his first letter to Timothy, Paul gives the instruction to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That comes from 1 Timothy 4, and we'll come back to that a little bit later. He speaks to a similar idea in 1 Corinthians 9, and he uses the illustration of an athlete training for competition. This is 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 24. He says, Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in, a way, run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who ke- competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So think back to that word that I I told you to remember. We're starting to see a little bit of a pattern uh, emerge. The highest pursuit of gospel people should be godliness. 
or for following sort of the literal meaning of the Greek words that Paul uses in, in 1 Timothy, uh, in the discipline of revering and following God. That's what that, that word godliness means. It means revering and following God. The highest pursuit of gospel people should be in the discipline of revering and following God. And the term we often hear in, in conjunction with this pursuit is spiritual disciplines. Right? That's sort of a, a churchy word. We sometimes hear it in Sunday school. We sometimes hear it uh, on Sunday morning or uh, when we do Bible studies. And unlike the fruit of the Spirit, we can go to Galatians and now the fruit of the Spirit are and we get a nice list. It's, you know, for those people who are organized, we're like, okay, that's the way I like Scripture to be organized. It's a list of things. I can know what they are. Um, Spiritual disciplines, on the other hand, we don't have one specific passage that we can look at and say, okay, here they all are in one place. Uh, Instead, we look to the habits. We look to the teachings of Jesus of the apostles, as well as many uh, Old Testament characters as well to kind of come up with a list of these disciplines. One of my uh, biggest influences in my understanding of spiritual disciplines and some of the method behind pursuing those things um, is an author named Don Whitney. And he wrote uh, a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Uh, Super, I'd highly recommend the book. It it just gives a good view on the topic. And he defines spiritual disciplines in this way. He says, the spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are habits of devotion, habits of experiential Christianity that have been practiced by God's people since biblical times. So I think that that's a good summation, sort of like the, the from top-down view of what a spiritual discipline is. But if we want to put some more specific names to some of these disciplines, we might talk about prayer or fasting, fellowship, worship, Bible study, serving, evangelizing, giving, or, or we might call it stewardship. And that, of course, is it's a non-exhaustive list if we're really going to go by uh, that definition of, of what spiritual disciplines are. But it helps give us a view of what they are. So first, we've established that pursuing something really requires two things, choice and action. And now uh, we're, we're arguing that uh, spiritual disciplines should be the highest pursuit for gospel people. So with those two things in mind, we can sort of draw almost the obvious conclusion here that spiritual disciplines require choice and action, right? Here's the thing. These things, that list of stuff that I I, I just gave, those things don't happen by accident. We don't just... Typically, at least, we don't just all of a sudden find ourselves praying. Like, it requires a conscious decision. It requires us to actually do something. If we don't make a conscious choice to spend time, spend energy, spend finances on these things, they simply won't happen. They just won't. At least not with any form of regularity. And then if it's not regular, then we lose the discipline part of, of that, right? So let's, let's return for a moment uh, to that passage from 1 Corinthians 9 where Paul is using that illustration of an athlete uh, to highlight the importance of discipline in the Christian life. Paul says that the athlete exercises self-control 
in all things. The NIV says that the athlete goes into strict training. And I think this, this illustration from 1 Corinthians 9 has aged particularly well over the centuries. Uh, as the advent of the popularity of professional sports has just, that's skyrocketed. The popularity of professional sports has skyrocketed. And so it's, we don't have to look far to kind of see the, the truth behind this sort of illustration. You look at any athlete who's kind of at the pinnacle of their sport, and you're going to see incredible practices of discipline or self-control. So let's just take one, for example, Michael Phelps. So the most decorated uh, Olympian of all time, most gold medals, most total medals. He didn't achieve that just because God gave him the gift of being able to swim fast. Like it didn't just happen. He had to go into strict training, have incredible self-discipline. He would practice more than six hours a day, six days a week. And that's just training. And a lot of the rest of the time that he spent was eating. He had to eat over 12,000 calories a day in order to maintain, you know, being in top shape. It's like, you think about that, and like the teenager within me is like, that sounds awesome, 12,000 calories. But if you read any athlete who's sort of at that point, and they have to eat that much food, they get so tired of eating. Like, it's like, okay, I have a free minute, you know, eat some sort of high-calorie energy bar and move on to the next thing. It's not like this, oh, he's eating burgers and, you know, all this stuff all the time. It was strict, and it was a discipline within itself. And that's why I think Paul's illustration here is perfect for talking about spiritual disciplines. Successfully having self-control or going into strict training requires us to set, our, set some pretty clear priorities because there will always be something that can take place, take the place of a disciplined investment in our faith if we allow it to. Take the discipline of prayer for instance. In our culture, the place is a high priority on productivity, on getting things done, on having a full schedule. The idea of setting aside time to slow down, spend time in silence, in solitude, in prayer with God is definitely countercultural. That's like, why would you do that? That's, that's what our culture might tell us. But it's also incredibly valuable. And our, our, our senior pastor isn't here today, so I feel like I can brag a little bit on him without sort of getting the evil eye. He is a man who takes the discipline of prayer seriously. Sunday mornings uh, are a busy time in the life of a pastor, especially someone like Nathan, a senior pastor whose job is to, to preach alongside being the leader of a, a church body. And, and we can easily get pulled in a million different directions on any given Sunday morning. But in the midst of that busyness, every Sunday, Nathan goes into his office, he closes his door, and he gets on his knees to pray every week. And I think Nathan would tell you that making time for that is one of the most valuable things that he, a pastor, does on a given Sunday morning. It's an incredibly valuable thing. I have to imagine Jesus experienced a similar tension of being pulled in a million different directions during his ministry as his reputation grew. Let's take a peek real quick at a couple verses from Luke chapter 5. 
uh, verses 15 and 16. It says, Yet the news about him, Jesus, spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. There would never be a shortage of things for Jesus to do. There would never be a shortage of parables to tell. There would never be a shortage of people to heal. And those things were for the good of others. They were for the glory of God. But Jesus also understood the importance of prioritizing quiet time with God, time spent in prayer and solitude with God the Father. And so he would make time in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of the demands that were on him, to withdraw from the crowds and do that. Gospel people need to give these things. Again, we, if we want to put a term to it, it'd be spiritual discipline. But we need to give those things priority in our lives. We need to make sure that we budget time, energy, and money on them. Early on in our marriage, Kelsey and I went through the, the financial peace program from, from Dave Ramsey. I know several other people uh, in a Brian body have gone through that as well. And it's been an incredible benefit for us in the way that we manage our money. Uh, and one of the things, if you're unfamiliar with that program, one of the things that you do is each and every month you get together what, you know, how much money is coming in in a given month and you budget every single dollar of it. Even if that's just budgeting it to go into savings, to just sit there, uh, but you budget every single dollar of it. And, and one of the things, resources that they give you to create that habit is a little budget worksheet that you do every month. The very top, you put up how much you do or how much is coming in, and then you distribute it. And what's noteworthy about this sheet is the order that things go in. At the very top, the very first thing that you account for uh, is your charitable giving. That's the first thing that you account for, whether that's uh, supporting a church, supporting missionaries, or other charitable organizations. That's what you account for first. Then comes the essential expenses, you know, shelter, clothing, food, all of those type of things. And then at the bottom is the discretionary. Movies, entertainment, vacation, whatever it is. That's at the bottom. Because if we allow all of the other things to come before that sort of spiritual discipline of stewardship or of giving, and we just wait for the leftover, there's rarely going to be leftover. It's important to prioritize that first. And so that's sort of a tangible way to make a choice in how to spend money, right? But that concept, again, putting the things of God first, can carry over into how we also spend our time, how we also spend our energy. Take uh, the discipline of serving as an example. And ask ourselves, do we serve the body with our, our leftover time after work and school, taking care of our families, and any other interests that we might have, sports, hobbies, whatever? Or do we prioritize our service to the kingdom and then use that margin at the bottom for everything else? And that's not to say, you know, ignore work, ignore your family. Those things are essential and important and need to have time for them, but it's more of the order of the other things, right? Are those things coming first? Pursuing spiritual disciplines requires choice, making choices, and requires acting on those things. Another temptation we can fall uh, into, again, in the busyness of our world, is the want to sort of stay in our own lanes, 
So the idea of, okay, I'm going to allow Jesus to take care of my salvation, you know, take care of my sin. You know, he died on the cross. I accept that. I want that to be part of my life. Let him take care of that. Let the Holy Spirit then kind of take care of us growing in our faith, sanctifying us, do all of that. And then that leaves us to just sort of focus on everything else, all of the worldly responsibilities that we have. Make sure I can focus on work. I can focus on my family and whatever else it is. We can fall into that temptation of wanting to compartmentalize or stay in our own lanes with that. I think a good way to illustrate that mindset is with a trip to the grocery store. So bear with me here for a minute. Every, uh, every other year, my dad takes me skiing with... Uh, with a few of his friends. And at the beginning of that trip, we all go to the grocery store to get everything we need for the week. And in order to be economical with our time, we all have our jobs, right? Some, one of us goes to take care of the produce. One of us goes back to the butcher counter. Someone goes and does like eggs, milk, cheese, butter, those things. And then when I'm on the trip, I usually go and like find the sweets and cookies and stuff like that. It's just, they know what my skill is going to be. And then at the end, after we've all sort of taken care of our own stuff, we meet at the checkout lane, we get everything, we're good to go. Sometimes that's how we want our faith journey to be, to let Jesus do his thing, the Holy Spirit do its thing, and us do our thing, and then sort of, you know, meet at the checkout lane in the sky, right? But that's not how God has designed things to be. Instead, God has designed us to walk with him, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus speaks to this reality in John 14 when he promises that God will send the Holy Spirit to help believers in their walk and to remind them of Jesus' teaching. Uh, John 14, 26 says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Spiritual disciplines do require our choice. They do require our action, but we aren't alone in that pursuit. If we were alone in that pursuit, we would fail. At some point along the way, we would fail. We would cave to pressure. We would cave um, to culture. But we can succeed because we are empowered by the spirit of the living God who lives within us. And that's a comforting thought. Uh, especially for someone like me who struggles at times with discipline. I can succeed because I have God's Spirit empowering me. However, within all of this, everything that we've talked about, there's a danger if we go about it with the wrong attitude or with the wrong motivation. With the wrong attitude or motivation, we may end up finding ourselves having more in common with the Pharisees, how the Pharisees were portrayed in Scripture, than we would uh, with the followers of Jesus. And Don Whitney, the author that I, I quoted earlier, speaks to this as well. He says, the spiritual disciplines are about doing, and you can do them as a Pharisee. You can do them wrongly motivated, but rightly motivated, they are things that we are to do in order to be like Jesus to be with Jesus. Spiritual disciplines require the right attitude. The Pharisees were known for their strict adherence to the law and various other traditions. In the Gospels, again, they often go sort of toe-to-toe with Jesus and his disciples, especially when they perceive that they are breaking the law or stretching the law or doing something that they don't like. 
And in many ways, the Pharisees are kind of a, a group of checklists, right? They have the things that they need to make sure that they do in order to uh, fulfill the requirements of the law. And that's, that's just the way that they operate. And their strength was in their knowledge of what the law said. They were incredibly educated, and they were incredibly devoted to what they believed. They were incredibly disciplined. But their great weakness was in the pride that came from this education, from this knowledge. And they did succeed in prioritizing what God had commanded. They did have discipline, but failed in the heart. They failed in the attitude behind it. At many times, the motivation for their discipline seems to be more about preserving their own image than it is actually about revering God. The disciples, on the other hand, as the first followers of Jesus, they stood in kind of stark contrast to the Pharisees. Most of them didn't come from highly educated, influential backgrounds. Though at times they showed a lack of understanding as to what Jesus was saying, they weren't alone in that, uh, they rarely fell into those moments of pride. They learned and they served humbly under the Messiah, desiring to grow in knowledge, desiring to grow in relationship with God. And in this process, they learned from Jesus' example and his teachings what the proper attitude was for these various disciplines that Jesus himself modeled. Let's look at what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount about the disciple, or this discipline of fasting. He says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who is sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So in this passage, Jesus is speaking to the attitude behind the practice or discipline of fasting, pointing out that the attitude is, is just as important as the practice itself. He's saying that those who sort of point out the fact that they're fasting, hey, look at me, look at how holy I am, I'm fasting. They're doing it for selfish and prideful reasons. They're bringing attention to themselves, ultimately revering themselves rather than revering God. Instead, with an attitude of humility, gospel people shouldn't call attention to their fasting. That would be the wrong attitude so that the discipline can truly be about revering and growing in the Lord. We have the Pharisees, and then we have the followers of Jesus, and we have the Apostle Paul who's lived both of these lives. As Saul the Pharisee, and as Paul the Apostle. In Philippians 3, Paul talks about his life as a Pharisee and transformation as a follower of Christ. In, in verses 5 and 6, he talks about his former pride in his heritage, in his education, in his ability to check everything off the list. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Check, 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 check. I got it all. 
But as we know, Paul goes under a radical transformation upon placing his faith in Jesus. And that transformation not only changed his eternal destination, but it also transformed his attitude about practicing spiritual disciplines. As a Pharisee, Paul already had the habit of discipline down. That's what Pharisees were all about. But upon his conversion, he added the proper attitude. And that's why Paul can tell fellow believers to follow his example, as he does later in chapter 3. He says, verse 17, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. He gives a similar encouragement in chapter 4. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I think this gives us, kind of seeing the two sides of the Saul-Paul coin here, gives us a greater insight into why God chose Paul to write so much of the New Testament. He was uniquely placed. He was uniquely equipped to be an incredible example for the early church as well as for generations of believers who came after. Attitude matters if we want to sort of guard ourselves um, against a, a dry and dreary experience in spiritual disciplines with little to no benefit when we pray, when we worship, when we study, when we serve, or really participate in any of those things. Attitude matters. But when prioritized, when we make that choice, when we act upon it, and when we do it with the right attitude, spiritual disciplines produce results. Let's, let's take another look at that passage from 1 Timothy that I quoted real quickly from earlier, but zoom out a little bit uh, to, to catch what comes immediately before and after it. This is verses 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness, again, we might call that those spiritual disciplines, are profitable for all things in our life and in all areas of our life. That's an important distinction to make, that spiritual disciplines aren't just kind of like this little sliver of our experience, that when we practice those things, our, our relationship with God is better. It's just this one area of life. No, it encompasses everything. It's beneficial for our careers. It's beneficial for relating with our families. It's beneficial for every area of life. Spiritual discipline produces results. They result in relational enrichment with God. Again, take prayer as an example. When we are regular in our prayer life, that forges a connection with God the Father. That's just, that's just what happens when we are regular in our prayer life, when we are earnest with the right attitude. But when we neglect that, the result is distance. And you could 
I'd argue you can really put any spiritual discipline in there, and that, that would be true. That practicing those things forge a connection with God, and the absence of them adds distance. Another result of spiritual disciplines is a greater degree of godly discernment. When we discipline ourselves in the study of God's word, we gain a better understanding of God's heart and of God's will. The same is true of prayers and petitions brought before God. He uses those moments to give us wisdom and discernment for our benefit. James 1.5 speaks to this. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. They give us a greater degree of godly discernment. And finally, spiritual disciplines allow us to be useful for the kingdom of God. Once again, we can just look at the life of the Apostle Paul to see the truth in that statement. Again, someone who perhaps is the pinnacle, other than Christ, of discipline in his walk was incredibly useful for the kingdom. We benefit from his usefulness still today, 2,000 years later. But we can also look at, at disciplines like service, like evangelism, stewardship, which kind of by their very nature are useful to the kingdom of God. But even those aren't exclusive to, to the ones that are useful. When we pray, we're useful to the kingdom of God. When we have a greater understanding of God's word, we are useful to the kingdom of God. That's what allows us to be useful. So as gospel people today, what can we do with this? What should we do with this? I think there are are a few things that can help sort of get us or keep us on the right track. First and foremost, we need to recognize the importance of pursuing these things. That by pursuing them, we are both obeying God, revering God, and benefiting ourselves and others. Second, we need to commit to regular self-reflection. Are our habits disciplined? Are they erratic? Are they non-existent? Honest reflection on this is so important. Stopping to think about it. Because it's incredibly difficult to grow or progress in any of these things when we don't even know where we are. We need to commit to regular self-reflection. Third, we need to have a growth mindset. It doesn't matter if you're great at discipline. You would consider yourself a a super disciplined person. You've woken up at 5 a.m. every day for the past 20 years to read your Bible. That's great. That's awesome. Or perhaps you're like, I'm like a monthly Bible every other month. You know, it's like it doesn't matter what end of the spectrum you are on in that in any of these areas, it's important for us to have a growth mindset. Gospel people need to continuously be working towards growing in our faith. This happens by having proper priorities, having the things of God first, at the top of our time, our energy, and our financial budgets. Likely, this this might look at like picking one, spiritual discipline, and for a season, focusing on that. 
And you know what? If after some of that honest self-reflection, you're realizing that you're kind of starting from scratch, that's okay if we have a growth mindset, right? And I would encourage you maybe to start with prayer. I think that's a great spot to start as we, um, as we pursue these things. And then finally, the last thing we need to do is we need to seek support. Pursuing and growing in this area is not a solo act. And if we try to make it one, we'll be likely met with pretty minimal results. That's just the way that it works. But as we talked about earlier, God has given us a helper in the form of the Holy Spirit. We can rely on the Holy Spirit to point out the areas we need to grow. The Holy Spirit is involved in that self-reflection. We can rely on the Holy Spirit to motivate us to pursue these things. The Holy Spirit is part of that growth mindset. But we need to be willing to listen and to act upon those promptings. Again, not just staying in our own lane, but walking with God, walking with Christ, walking with the Holy Spirit in these things. And we also have brothers and sisters in Christ to support us. There's a room full of people right now, and this, for most of us, isn't the sort of extent of our uh, Christian relationships. It's important for us as the body of Christ to, number one, be willing to ask for support. Another part of our culture is a value of independence. We need to throw that one out of the window. We need to be willing to ask for support, and we also need to be willing to give it, to offer it. We need to seek support. And above all of this, we need to guard our hearts against viewing these things as a drudgery. Satan would love nothing more than for us to view reading God's word as a chore. Satan would love nothing more than for us to view spending time in quiet prayer with God as boring. Neither of those things is true. It's a privilege that we have the word of God. We have free access to it. It's a privilege that you go, you go back and read God's word in the Old Testament. You see what people had to go through in order to have direct contact with God. And it was pretty crazy. We have direct and immediate access to God through prayer. And that's a privilege. We need to guard ourselves, guard our hearts against viewing these things negatively. And that can easily become our reality if we don't continuously remind ourselves of that. And I think a, a great place for us to close today is just by reminding ourselves of what Paul wrote to Timothy 2,000 years ago. Godliness, revering and following God, is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That shows how important these things are. Let me pray for us. And so God, I do thank you that we have access to you directly. I thank you that you um, have seen fit to give us your very word through the scriptures. I thank you that you see fit to use us for your kingdom work. Lord, you don't require us 
but it's a privilege for us to be used by you. And so I, I pray that you would help us as we seek these things. Help us to realize the value of placing a priority on growing in you, in revering you. And so again, I pray for each and every person in this room. Lord, that you would guide us in this. That you would help us to grow in this. That you would help us to establish these habits knowing that they are for our good. Lord, and for your glory. So I pray as we go about our week that we would um, find that time to put those things first. So we do thank you for Christ, for his sacrifice for us, for the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide us in this life. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So as you're dismissed this morning, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now and always. You are dismissed.